0: Welcome to Spirit Pig, this is the show that explores how to live a fulfilled life. I'm Duncan CJ and in this episode I talk to Alistair Humphreys about how to experience incredible adventures even if you have no time or money, the importance of being outside and connecting back to nature, ways that Alistair makes himself slow down and appreciate the moment, and how to overcome negativity and self-doubt. Coming up right now on Spirit Pig, enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to Spirit Pig, I'm Duncan CJ and today we've got Alistair Humphreys, Uh, really, really excited. Uh, Alistair is a National Geographic's Adventurer of the Year. He's written seven books about his experiences, which include spending four years, three months I believe, cycling around the world through 60 countries, 46,000 miles. He's walked across India, rode the Atlantic Ocean and been on expeditions to the Arctic. He's uh, spoken at two TEDx events and is a pioneer of the concept of micro-adventures, which are all about encouraging people just to get outside, get out of their comfort zone and go somewhere they've never been before. Alistair, thank you so, so much for being here. It's awesome to talk to you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I was um, just saying uh, earlier to um, my friend, um, this morning my, my shaver broke, uh, our boiler's broken, so I'm unshaved, I haven't had a shower, so I'm trying to sort of channel my rugged adventurer <laughs> yeah, also
1: being, sm- being smelly is half of the job description. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, now, I'm going to probably just jump straight in with this idea and this concept of micro-adventures, because you've been on, as I just mentioned, these huge, crazy trips, four years cycling, the Arctic, but a lot of these things obviously aren't accessible necessarily to just everyone. They are, but uh, people have got nine to five jobs. And so you've been trying over the years just to simplify the process, simplify, simplify, simplify. And this idea of no time and no money are the big ones that come up again and again. Um, Can you just tell us a little bit about micro-adventures and One in particular, which my favourite, is your concept of uh, five to nine.
1: Okay, sure. My background is from doing these big trips and these big expeditions, which I have loved and and continue to love, but I'm aware that they're not very um, realistic for most people. But people like the idea of adventure, but it's often quite a vicarious experience. So I wanted to try and find ways of making adventure accessible for people, breaking down the barriers and... In order to do that, you need to remove the things that get in the way. Um, I think there's a lot of people dream of doing really cool stuff in their life and don't do it because there's so many complications that get in the way. So with the adventure stuff, I wanted to try and remove as many of those as I could. And the biggest two that you mentioned are time and money. And so I tried to come up with an idea of an adventure that didn't require a lot of money, didn't require any much fancy kit and didn't require much time and it really boils down to the idea of trying to get people when they leave work one nice summer's evening to head out of town instead of going home just to watch TV for the night, head out of town um, by yourself with some friends, with your family, whatever, Um, go climb a hill and sleep on the hill for one night, just one night. In the morning head back, back to work, back to real life and You've had an adventure, a small adventure, but something you'll remember for a long time. So that's the essence of micro adventures, really. I love it; it's amazing.
0: And you were—I um, was lucky enough to see you talk at um, the Guardian headquarters um, a few weeks ago, and you were showing us some slides and some things. Which you know, in this this concept can be taken, you know, so far. You know, that's a great example, just the five to nine. But um, just, you no, know, just walking the length of a river or climbing a mountain or. I think one of the ones you with your Brompton bicycle, um, you you were going from the Shetland Islands from island to island with your inflatable boat with the Brompton bicycle packed inside and then you would cycle
1: and then unpack. And is that correct? Yeah. Travelling the length of the Shetland Isles um, by folding bike and folding boat. Um, Trying to take bikes on trains in Britain is quite painful. So a folding bike is quite handy for that. They look a bit silly, but and they're a bit slow, but I'm not really trying to. Rush anywhere they look cool. Um, so yeah, just I've just been trying to find quirky, interesting, different things that just strike a chord on people's imagination and make them think, "Oh yeah, I will make the effort required to get out of the house and go try that this weekend because that's the hardest part is trying to fit a slot into our ridiculously busy diaries and lives and then commit to actually doing it rather than just not bothering and staying at home watching TV. And
0: one thing that you said which um really was a bit of a shock but it was actually really interesting is that you said some of the um the excitement and the buzz and the joy you get from just doing these little twenty four hour forty eight hour mini adventures are you know is, is the same sort of feeling as you get from whether you're spending you know in the Arctic or Around the world, or you know, cycling, doing these crazy adventures, you still get that same micro adventure. Doesn't mean worse adventure or lesser adventure. It's just you still get that that joy, don't you?
1: Yeah, I think if you just go somewhere you've never been before, and that, and you're the sort of person who finds that exciting, then a, a hill in Scotland can be as exciting as a hill in Tibet. There's no reason why it shouldn't be. So it's a bit of it is a the attitude with which you view it, but equally. Um big trips are nothing more than a series of day trips with day camping things at the end of it. You just string a lot of them together. So the experience is no different, really. It's just it's just shorter.
0: Yeah. And um, I, I loved the um, the idea of how to take on, on the surface, probably the most boring, uh, boring adventure possible. Uh, the M twenty five is what most people associate with their commute. Um, you know, being stuck in traffic. You spent six or seven days actually uh, camping, uh, going
1: around the actual the whole surf like circumference of the M twenty five. Yeah, walking the M twenty five was quite a stupid thing to do, and I and I knew when I was doing it that it was slightly silly and people would find it quite funny, and I I found it quite amusing as well. But there was a, a serious point to it in terms of trying to show that you can find wild places and beauty really close to home, that there are challenges to have in short spaces of time without having to go to the ends of the earth. And I really, really enjoyed the M25. There were some really beautiful bits. I got to spend a week with a a friend who I don't see very often, and uh, and it was tough, which I like. You don't necessarily need to make your trips tough. And it it was really interesting. I met good people. Uh, It ticked all of the boxes, and that was the trip that really got me on to thinking that this idea of microadventure had some sort of legs if i could do something exciting and and rewarding near slough then surely you could do it anywhere <laughs>
0: <laughs> do you think that because we um we spend so much time in like offices in our cubicles um you know we get up early and then we're sunny we're in the whole when the light is you know the sun is shining we're we're stuck inside do you think spending time outside and connecting back to nature i mean is is this really closely linked to happiness and you know just well-being this this link with nature
1: yeah I think so I would I would hesitate to say that sleeping on a hill was a a panacea to all life's problems but it's certainly a a good start Uh, and it's a good start in two ways one because you you're taking action you're doing something different so you're making an effort to make some sort of Change, even just a small and brief one, um, and then hopefully you can start to build that into a habit, but also, I think it 's good because just being out in the wild, feeling wind, feeling the sunshine, feeling the rain, perhaps these things are really good things that we tend not to get in urban society it's quite it's quite possible to go from your flat in London, quick dash down the road, then your underground pop out into an office and reverse that on the way home, and you haven't mm. seen a bird or a tree all day. Um, so I think to just be able to be stuck on a hill for a couple of hours, ideally with your phone left in your pocket, is, is a really good thing to do, just to slow down and simplify and get a little bit of perspective on your normal life just for, for a short while. Mm. And the idea of simplicity and slowing down, um, I'll
0: link it up in the show notes. There's um, You did a quite recent uh, YouTube video uh, all about simplicity and um, You're saying actually on some of your recent trips, you've actually said, I will not take more than 24 photos on the whole trip. Is that correct? Because, uh, and with all of them, we've got really long exposures to actually make you sit and appreciate the moment rather than constantly rushing, rushing, rushing.
1: Yeah, I say all these things, but I actually don't live any of this myself. And I'm terrible (laughs) at madly rushing around, feeling obliged to put everything on Twitter. And... And I was in a really, really beautiful place, and I decided that, well, what I would normally do is I'd make a film of that. But making films is a lot of work; it's virtually a non-stop work, racing the clock, racing the sunshine. So I decided not to do that and to just take photos. But I knew what I'd be like. I would then start taking a thousand photos. So I, I just rationed myself to twenty-four, like in the olden days when you got 24 shots on a film camera and each shot cost 50p, it made you engage your brain and actually put some effort in before you took the photo. So I was allowed 24 shots. And then to make myself slow down, when, whenever I framed my camera ready for one of those shots, I did it on a tripod and I set it going on a time-lapse, taking, taking lots of images of the same thing over time so I could put it into a time-lapse, see the clouds moving by, that sort of thing. And that forced me, once I'd taken that picture to just sit there and take in the view for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, however long I'd set the exposure for. And it also forced me to just accept that the picture I took might not be perfect. I could probably have done it better, but I just had to live with it and then try and do the next one better.
0: Oh, amazing. And did you, did you find that, was that whole experience, did you, did you get a huge amount of benefit from it, from just actually just stopping and
1: having those constraints just to make you, you stop? Yeah, it was really, really good just to have to sit down. No, just to sit down and be still was really good. And also because my camera was busy doing these long exposures, I couldn't be fiddling away with a gadget. So I just had to sit. And it was also really good for my photography in that I actually had to think quite hard about the picture I took and decide whether it was worth one twenty-fourth of my (laughs) allowance. So so you don't take the picture so lightly. So yeah, I definitely would recommend people trying that. Amazing.
0: Um and bit of a detour, but um you're saying how um through life and then often, you know, a lot of people's default setting is just to say it's much simpler just to have a default setting of saying no, no you can't do it. No, it can't be done. Um and you've obviously um with some of your like big audacious adventures, I'm sure you've come across this and heard this, you know huge amounts beforehand how how do you personally deal with negativity and you know people saying like you know you, you know you can't be de- doing something
1: i think that there's two aspects to this there's how i deal with it now and there's how i used to deal with it and i think they're interestingly different because now I, i've done quite a lot of things now so i'm now far more confident in my ability and what is possible so now when someone says no you can't do something that barely even registers with me anymore and i just do it um but when I started out doing these things when people said no that did used to I'd get very worried very nervous think it wasn't possible um, I'd really be concerned about how people would perceive me um, and particularly if I tried that thing and then failed, that the prospect of that really bothered me um, and I guess I just gradually over time started doing things that people would say you couldn't do and I manage them or i found ways around this and that that then just started to give me the confidence that there usually is a way around it if if you want to make it happen and a bit of a bloody mindedness goes a long way (laughs)
0: yeah just that blinkered being like i will do this i will do this
1: yeah yeah and i think for um for most things if you wanted want to do it enough you can somehow work out some sort of way to do it
0: do you think do you think we um Often overcomplicate the process and and give ourselves this self talk of saying you know because I, I hearing you talk about cycling around the world where it's you know I think you just you left your house jumped on a bike had no experience and thought okay if I if I just get to the next village or if I get to the end of the you know end of the country do, do we do we create these these stories in our heads of things being you know much bigger and you know crazier and actually. If you've can, if you got a bike and you know how to put up a tent, I think there's words, you, you know, actually all these things, you're no different to anyone else. You just have that
1: drive to actually start. I think um, one of the main reasons I've been banging on about these micro-adventures for a while is for that exact reason that um, people love the idea of doing big adventures, but they don't do them because of a lack of time or money or the perception that they are not adventurous enough to be able to go and do this sort of thing so the thing with micro adventures is it just forces you to begin just go and do something really small go for a walk go for a bike ride swim in a river sleep on a hill small little things that anyone can do and then once you've done it once you can then do it again and then again and and I think that's the way I try and tackle the big projects I get really excited about a big project then you work out what tiny little thing you need to do and you just start on thing one and then thing two and then little by little you start to build up some momentum and once you've got some momentum then you are very hard to stop.
0: <laughs> have, you, have you have you always um, had that sort of following your because you're saying how you know obviously with self-doubt but have you because you, you've created a job a lifestyle out of out of your passion you know you found what you've loved and then you've, you've just gone ahead and done it like is, you know, I, th- I think, is, is it that simple? Like you love travelling, you love photography, you love writing, so put those three things together and that's what you've uh, created a whole life out of. Would you give that same advice to anyone, you know, whatever their passions are or is this quite a unique, exa- like a unique set of examples?
1: Um, I, I certainly ad- advocate people trying to do what they love doing in life, but also bear, the, bear in mind the pragmatism that you need somehow to work out how you're going to earn the money to eat from it because if you just completely naively set out like some hippie to go do what you love but don't earn any money from it then you're going to die so that would so so i think people saying do what you love can be sometimes a little bit too much of a instagram cliche um and i certainly when i was younger so before before I was at university, I'd say I would never have thought that I would be the sort of person who would have the gumption to go out and try and forge a life doing these sort of things. I'm by by uh, default, I'm quite a shy person. I'm very self-doubting. I'm not very self-confident. I'm not very outgoing, um, and. I've had to get better at all of those things, and the reason that I've had to do that is because what I loved was travel. I wanted to go see the world, have adventures, challenge myself, and I so I made myself go and do those things. And then off the back of that, I started learning how to write. I started teaching myself photography, and I started very consciously teaching myself the skills necessary to gradually turn what I loved, the travel, into a sustainable lifestyle. Amazing, and you've constantly chosen not to.
0: Uh the way of a lot of other explorers and travellers was once they've found their sort of niche, they've stuck to it and that is their thing. But you, you've consciously trying out lots and lots of things and you didn't want to have that sort of being pigeonholed.
1: Like, what does the phrase permission to continue mean? <laughs> um, well, I'm I'm not really the sort of person who is ever going to be a world beater at anything. Um, it's not in my well first it's not in my genetics, I'm not very good at anything really um, and I'm not driven to be the best at anything and what really excites me is to learn new things. So I would always prefer to start something new, a different kind of journey, a different kind of skill and get pretty good at it and then once I'm pretty good at it I tend to get a bit bored and then I move on to to something else. And I think that's just suited me a lot better for the kind of trips that I've done. Different environments, different kinds of trip.
0: Yeah, because it's interesting because you hear two different schools of thoughts. One, people are like, be niche, be micro niche. But then the other school of thoughts, um, there was a podcast by Tim Ferriss, which I listened to the other day. And he was actually advocating being a jack of all trades. And actually Mm -hmm. how somebody with a whole varied um, selection of skills
1: and interests actually have got a lot more to, let's say, bring to the table. I think when you start out doing these sort of similar lifestyle that you and I are both trying to do, trying to forge our, our own ways, you have to be a jack of all trades and you have to get quite good at lots of things. But I think it's also important to bear in mind the power of just paying someone who's really good to do the thing they're really good at. And I say this, but I never do it myself, but I definitely advise other people to do it. So find the thing that you're good at, find the things you like. And the stuff that you're rubbish at, or the stuff you hate, find someone, pay them to do it, and free up your time to do something else. Above my desk, I've got this thing, and there's three questions. It says, "Do I really need to do this? Am I the best person to do this? And what else could I be doing if I wasn't doing this?" And I try to make those, th- <laughs> to let those three things guide my decisions.
0: I love that. I love that. What? What? Say those one more time. Am I?
1: Am I? Uh, do Do I really need to do this? Yeah am I the best person to do this? Yeah. And what else could I be doing if I wasn't doing this?
0: Amazing. It's very relevant. Yesterday I was doing bookkeeping and accountancy and I was pulling my hair out. (laughs) Yeah. You need to just pay
1: someone to do that for you. What does a a fulfilled life mean to you? Gosh, a fulfilled life. Um, I guess fulfilled life is doing new things. Um, Trying to set an example to other people, to the, the people I care about, I suppose. Um, making the most of my potential, making the most of my opportunities and um, trying to laugh a lot, have fun along the way. Awesome. And what is one
0: thing all of our listeners can do today that will have a massive positive effect on their lives?
1: (laughs) Uh, Go and sleep on a hill. Uh, Climb climb a hill, sleep on the top, swim in a river in the morning. I think that is uh, good for the soul. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And uh, are there any books or resources which have had a big impact on your life? Gosh, well... Books have been a huge influence on me right throughout my my uh, life. Starting to love travel, um, and I could talk for hours about books. But a couple of my favourites, probably my all-time favourite book, is "As I Walked Out One Midsummer Morning" by Laurie Lee. And then, as an example of a properly epic, bonkers trip that no one knew if was possible or not, I'd go for "The Kontiki Expedition" by Thor Heyerdahl. I've never heard that one before. Conti- ah, there you are,
0: then. Amazing. I will read that as well. And obviously, we'll, we'll, ch- we'll chuck up your, your book. Hey? Ah, yeah. <laughs>
1: not, yeah, not quite in the same level as uh, Thor Heyerdahl. Thank, <laughs> thank you.
0: <laughs> and last but not least, uh, how can people stay in touch with you and find out more about you?
1: Um, if you Google me, Alistair Humphreys, you'll probably find my blog and Twitter and Facebook and all those things that I spend far too much time doing when I should be out sleeping on a hill.
0: Amazing. And we will link them all up on, in the show notes. Cool. Alistair, thank
1: you so, so much. I really
0: appreciate you talking to us today. You're welcome, thank you for having me.